you, you talked a lot about um, kind of the idea of like building a relationship with stakeholders and subject matter experts, particularly. I was wondering if you could kind of uh, go back to that and expand on that at all. Sure. I mean, it's gosh, it's been over 25 years that I've been doing this. And I was just thinking about not that long ago, what has the progression been? And when I first started out, it was all about the, the interesting work, the development or delivery in a classroom work. Working with stakeholders was very much uh, order taker transactional and not surprising, new in the in, new in your profession, new as a professional. But over time, transitioning from, from that to, I think, you know, there's the trusted advisors out there, but understand coming at it from instead of a transaction, um, coming at, at any engagement with stakeholders from the perspective of being curious about them, their needs, understanding their business, their language, their out, their goals and outcomes that they're trying to get, and then taking a collaborative approach rather than an order taker approach. Welcome to Making Better, a podcast from Better Everyday Studios devoted to helping small learning teams have a big impact. Today, we are talking with Joe Leggetts, a talent development leader with over 25 years of experience managing effective training programs in a variety of industries. I recently chatted with Joe about the importance of building strong stakeholder relationships, so I wanted to have him back on the podcast to go a bit deeper. Joe, welcome so much to the podcast today. How are you doing? Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. Uh, We first uh, met and chatted a couple weeks ago, and as soon as I talk to you. Um, as soon as we started talking, I knew uh, I had to have you on the show. Um, one thing that I'd, I'd just love to start with, because I, I feel like almost every conversation around learning and development starts with how people fell into learning and development, but that's not quite what happened to you, right? If I remember correctly, yours was a little bit more s- systematic, like you're at an actual formal L&D professional almost. Correct. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess if you go all the way back to the start, I somewhat fell into it. I was, I took a gap year after um, graduating my undergraduate degree and um, was trying to figure out what to do, was looking at potentially going back and getting a teaching degree, teach English in high school. And when I found out about this thing called training and development, so teaching adults in business situations instead, looked into it and immediately um, decided to go that direction. And yeah, I went back to school, uh, got a degree focusing on that area and in a, after a couple of years um was was in the field so awesome and so and there ever since yeah exactly and so i, I don't know what what have, have you seen as you've been in the industry how has that kind of changed your has it changed your your view at all when you think about other people that you meet um the fact that you've kind of done this from the beginning of your professional career how is it changed or just like, or, do you have a different view you feel like than, than oh, what you see from other people? I think a lot of times I do have a different view. And I think I do see some similarities with people who um, identified training and development, something they're interested in, went out and got the education and then started practicing, you know, and kind of put together their calling plus their, their profession plus their education. Um, I think there's a little bit of a difference. Uh, I th- tend to see more of that. Uh, a deeper level of the the technical, theoretical, philos- uh, neuroscience background in people yeah. who've pursued the education. Not entirely. I think you have plenty sure. of people who are new to it and they're fascinated by it and dive right in and and learn that. But I see uh, different things brought by people that come from other disciplines, and sometimes um, they don't go back and get the fundamentals to the same level as somebody who started intentionally with the education and practicing and building um, has. 
Yeah, I can see that. And I think that's something, it, it, it kind of makes me think of something that I know uh, Heidi Kirby on LinkedIn talks a lot about. Of There, there seems to be a, a pretty sizable gap sometimes between like the theory and the practice in our on our profession uh, almost. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I think you see it if you look at, take a stop look and you'll see it in anything else too, right? I mean, yeah, you see it in marketing. Totally. And if, if I were to move into marketing, I probably would not go back and get that same level of foundational information as somebody who knew they wanted to do marketing and studied it and then started practicing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. Uh, well, one of the big things that stuck out to me in our conversation a few weeks ago was you, you talked a lot about um, kind of the idea of like building a relationship with stakeholders and subject matter experts, particularly. Um, you, one thing you, you really mentioned was kind of how your views change or like the mistakes you made earlier in, earlier in your, your career. Um, I was wondering if you could kind of uh, go back to that and expand on that at all. Sure. I mean, it's, gosh, it's been over 25 years that I've been doing this and, and I've gone through a couple of different industries, different individual, different leadership roles. Um, and I was just thinking about not that long ago, like what, what has the progression been? And you know, first started out, it was all about the, the interesting work, the development or delivery in a classroom work. Um, and it was very, I think I was very transactional. So sure. in terms of, I was thinking about working with stakeholders, it was very much uh, order taker transactional and not surprising, new in the, in, new in your profession, new as a professional. Um, but over time, uh, between I think mastering and being comfortable with what I was doing on my end in, in training and development, but also just learning about how to better support organizations, um, transitioning from, from that to, uh, I think, you know, there's the trusted advisors out there, but understand coming at it from instead of a transaction, um, coming at, at any engagement with stakeholders from the perspective of being curious about them, their needs, understanding their business, their language, their, out, their goals and outcomes that they're trying to get, and then taking a collaborative approach rather than an order taker approach. That makes sense. Yeah, I think. To, yeah, having that curiosity, I think, is the key first step in developing that relationship. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's a choice, right? I mean, it's not a, I think a lot of, I saw an article of, uh, last summer, I think it was, it was a great a little article saying curiosity is a state, not a trait. And a lot of mm. times we talk about it like somebody just has curiosity, right? And it's, yeah. it really is a choice when you hear something or you're going to engage with somebody choosing to ask questions, not make judgments or, or, or push your agenda, but asking them. Yeah. So on that, if it is a choice and something that you really want to do, like what, what do you see as, you know, put yourself back in your position years ago or anybody who's out in the field right now, you know, they're new to a company, they're just getting started sure. with learning. Um, what do you see as good, simple ways to start exercising or developing that curiosity or showing that curiosity? Great question. Um, I, I think mastering questions is, okay. is critical for a lot of roles, but especially ours when analysis is a key part of what we do. And uh, I even step back further than when I'm in my approach, um, I've, I evolved from like, it's what I would call it, a traditional, that, that really focused training development. That's my, I have, you know, I have one hammer, so I'm going to, I'm going to use it on all my problems to more of a performance improvement approach. And so asking questions to figure out is training even the right solution? And if not, is there still an opportunity or a way for me to help? And if not, can I direct you to somebody else or just plain say, 
I'm the wrong guy to come to, you know, you need to, this is some a different type of, uh, different type of problem. So, um, keeping an open mind, but, it's, but starting off with a, a deliberate set of questions, I guess, um, you know, just basic needs analysis questions, but always having those in your back pocket and being ready to ask follow-up questions and dive deeper and, and really understand. And again, using good questioning skill sets where you're, you know, rephrasing what they say and communication skills along with it. So they, they hear that you're taking yeah. an interest in their business that you do understand now. Um, so I think that's a big part of that stakeholder management and building the trust is not that you're not just that you are trying to understand them, but do you communicate to them in a way that they recognize it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's you. One thing you hit on there was this idea of like asking those questions of is training even the problem of a friend of mine who's manager or a director of training at a, at a aerospace company was saying how he finds it interesting that ever since he became, got his new role, he spends most of his time convincing people that training's not the answer. <laughs> it's not. And I was at Rumler and Brace's, uh research and um, going back decades uh, was something like two thirds of the prob performance problems were environmental or external to the mm. performer. They were, mm -hmm. you know, unclear expectations and bad feedback and systems and processes that are broken and things like that. And I think, um, I can't remember which one of them, uh, was, was interviewed not a, f a few years ago. And they said, do you think that still holds true? And he said, Oh heck no, we've gotten so much better at training that training is a smaller percentage <laughs> of the solutions these days. And it's more and more that environmental stuff. So helping people understand that, but in a way that isn't, um, offensive. I stuck my foot in it the first time as a brand new training manager, wanted to move from this transactional order taking training to being a performance focused partner. And the solution was not training. Uh, the solution was the manager needed to clarify expectations and follow through on those. And because you had people that were sometimes following a process correctly and sometimes not. Yeah. And if they can do it, um, you know, if they know how to do it sometimes, then they know how to do it. And uh, I, I went after that. I was excited. Oh, this is a great opportunity. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, this is the way I want to approach things. And I burned, you know, I, I, I burned that relationship for a short time and mm. I had to go back and apologize and rebuild it and, and, and um, work on it for a while, well over a year to, I'd say, get it back to where it was. Yeah. So what, what does that look like? How, how can someone be, obviously it's very situational and depends on the relationship, but I would say the average relationship is probably, you know, manager from the business comes to you. You maybe know their name or know where they are in the business, but you don't, you haven't really worked with them before. Um, what are, what's the wrong way to, to handle that? Like what's too aggressive you think? <laughs> I, I think it's jumping to conclusions and, you know, you come to me and say, I have the situation and I think I understand it. And say, Hey man, I got the perfect solution for you. And just kind of force that force my agenda mm -hmm. or, um, something I think you see a lot from, from vendors where your problem mm -hmm. is maybe a partial overlap to their solution, but they're going, they really want to sell their solution mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, and it's canned, um, as opposed to, again, I think it's getting back to asking good questions and using questions to kind of guide them to where you think is the right solution. Because mm -hmm. I think also by asking those questions, you might under uncover something and realize, oh, I thought it was uh, unclear expectations, but it really is, there is a trading component here. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think that's the, to me, it's, it's just not going in with an agenda and, yeah. and, and a solution that you think is right. 
um, you might explore that with them. But I think asking a lot of questions and, and staying open-minded to what you hear. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I think that's the key right there is being open-minded. Um, in those, the early stages of that relationship, you know, cause a lot of times, especially at a lot of companies these days, uh, everybody's just so busy and under the gun. And <laughs> often when people are looking for training help, it's like the problem needed to be addressed, you know, six months ago. And it's, you know, right. so how do you kind of almost thread that needle or walk that line of wanting to ask the questions, wanting to do the needs analysis, but the business leader being like, Hey, look, like, I just want this course. Like, I, like, can we just get this course and get it out the door? Like, how do you, how do you navigate that? I think that's sometimes where you, where, where I've flexed and, and okay. I don't want to say lower my standards, but, uh, allow them to drive to get that initial, uh, partnership. Yeah. And then use how we work together as a way to start, uh, educate them on, on my approach and my philosophy. So it might be sure. We'll get that class going. But in order to make sure that class does what you need it to do, we have to have some conversation. I need to understand some things and then kind of do the do that analysis after you've agreed to a solution. And sometimes mm-hmm. um, and heavily, heavily understanding why they want it. You know, we hear about a lot about that word and why, why it's important to know, understand the why, uh, your yeah. own why, other people's whys, but why they want yeah. it. What are they trying to accomplish? And if if they give you something concrete to go off of where you say, well, that's really not this training solution is not going to affect that, that outcome, start exploring it with them. And you have to know your audience there too. Some people you, you can, you can just lay it out, you know, factually others, yeah. you might have to continue to ask questions until they see it um, yeah. and kind of discover it themselves by thinking about it. If you can get them to engage like that, I yeah. feel, as much as I don't like doing that, uh, that transactional order taker approach. I've done that a couple with some people for on multiple projects just to get that um, those uh, those engagements behind us and it's a little bit of a working relationship to then start trying to trying to push for a little more of engagement up front to get a better long term solution. Yeah, and or looking at the results with them. Okay, we yeah. did this. You said that you wanted this outcome. We didn't really get it. Let's explore why. Yeah, because probably the ultimate outcome, kind of, kind of as you said, is for them to kind of look at it, and because of the questions you've posed, and because of the thinking you've kind of just kind of put out there, they just kind of come to this realization of maybe this course isn't the best way to right. get what I need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I bet there's a almost kind of unfortunately an inverse relationship of some sort where it's like the places, the companies where training is the weakest need to rely the longest on that kind of order taker mentality in some sense, because they don't have any sense of what training can do. And so they just mm-hmm. hire somebody to do, just do the job, just make the courses, just get the LMS going, whatever it is. And you probably have to spend a fair amount of time just kind of doing what they're saying and building and showing them that you can get stuff done, build the respect that you can like build what they want before you can then adjust relationship to build what they need. I think that's a fair, a fair statement. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. that there's not, it's not in the, the, the right approach isn't a part of the culture. Mm. Um, oh, I say right approach. What I think is a better approach <laughs> most yeah. of the time. It's not always yeah. the right approach every time, but yeah, I think was more long-term, more likely to get you the results that you want. Um, yes. Isn't always an option. Yeah where they need yeah. the most. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Awesome. Well, you also work in a manufacturing environment. How right. is, I've, I've definitely been, in, I've done training in a manufacturing environment. It's interesting. It's different. <laughs> it's a very interesting kind of place. And what What's different? What do you see is different about training in a manufacturing environment? Yeah, so I've, gosh, I've worked retail grocery, uh, my second company that's in um, automotive manufacturing. And then in between those two was uh, direct selling. So it's okay. been a, a pretty varied experience. Um, yeah. And I've worked a little bit on the side with some, some, like financial institutions um, uh, for brief side work. Um, and I was thinking about that. You, you posed that question for me to think about, and I don't see a huge difference from industry to industry, company to company, mainly because okay. the, the key uh, ingredient in this equation is always the same people. Oh, so yeah. I, when I've talked about this with, with some friends, uh, colleagues, I think it's kind of like the, the discussion around like how much of our DNA differentiates us from a banana, you know, such a tiny mm -hmm. amount. We think we're so different, but it's like, wasn't it like, it's like a couple percentage points. Right. Yeah. So I think that's kind of like organizations are like that too. We're, we're a lot of people like to say, Oh, our organization is unique because and fill in the blank. You know, well, if you've been around a little bit and exposed to some, you know, other companies and you realize how similar that is to other companies, that isn't to say that there isn't an impact. Um, like manufacturing companies are going to tend to be, I think, process driven, sure. which would be a little different than say the sales company that came from, which was relationship driven. Yeah. So it might be more in the little details, like how do decisions get made? Is it one person? Yeah. Is it consensus driven? Um, but I think the bulk of it, uh, when you're talking about engaging with stakeholders and building that relationship up, people are people and yeah. everybody has a, has an objective for their job and things that they're pressure they're under pressure to do and so the more you can help them with that uh, the more you're going to have success building that relationship yeah that that definitely makes sense yeah those it's those teeny tiny differences that when you're new or from afar they can seem like they dramatically affect the outcome yeah <laughs> but when you really get into it it's it's kind of the same nuts and bolts that, that definitely makes sense and i guess i to me i fall back partly because the tools that I would apply, it wouldn't matter what company I'm going into. Mm -hmm, it's getting back mm -hmm. to those. So, so to me, the tools and so my work um, stays the same. It's asking those questions, understanding the situation, their priorities, and and what options have been tried, and what do we know about the target audience for this, you know, whatever issue that was going on. What are the other factors in play? It's those questioning skills. Those those foundational skills are going to be the same. So yeah. it might be a little bit of a difference in how you use them. Um, how you communicate, you know, the style, sure. but the substance, the, the foundation, the, the skill sets would be the same. Yeah. That makes sense. At least that'd be my approach. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Do you, cause you're relatively new or you might about your year into to your current role. Um, how, how was that, um, kind of coming in? What were some of the first steps that you took to start developing those relationships in a, in a new organization? Sure. Uh, well, the first 90 days was all about learning. You know, I had to take management on, of course, and make decisions, but as much as possible, I spent my time uh, meeting with people to understand what their their needs were, um, kind of peers and in, in my management level, up, down the organization structure, trying to meet with the main of, of the, the teams that report to me and the, their customers. Um, 
and again, it's just asking the questions and understanding what's going on. A lot of why are we doing it this way and being really clear when talking with my team, other teams that I'm not accusing. I'm really purely gathering information. So um, being careful with not asking too many of those. Yeah, I was just going to say that is such a question that I always try to put out there as early as possible is because sometimes when you're especially I feel like it's our job to just like always ask the dumb question. And sometimes if you don't have a relationship, it can almost come off as insulting in the wrong Mm. context. And I think it's it's I always like to do that level set of like, I'm just I'm just asking every question that pops in my brain. Like, I know this is all hard. I know there's all reasons for anything. Um, Just I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, I got my little reminder note over here because it's something I came across a while ago. But, um, you know, clarifying the outcome. So meeting with somebody Mm -hmm. new. Why why am I meeting with you? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also what's my intent behind that? And then mm-hmm. let's let's have that conversation or if it's a, a project, let's work together. So making sure they understand what I'm trying to accomplish and why, and then getting to the what. I can only imagine how project. much yeah, I can only imagine how much more effective that makes your meetings by clarifying that out from the get-go. <laughs> it it definitely helps because again, if you misspeak in asking a question or you don't realize the person you're talking to is I think it's that you know, in, more indirect communicator where a why if, if is often viewed as an accusation question. Mm-hmm. If you started with here's what I'm here to do, here's what I want to accomplish, I'm gonna ask a lot of questions, you know, is that okay? And then dive in and it's sometimes harder to phrase a why question as a what question where it's a little more neutral viewed neutrally by a lot of people but especially in the heat of the moment oh why would you do that again it's not an accusation just i want to know and if you clarify that up front reiterate it again reading you know how to knowing how to read people uh, see if they they react to that question yeah explore that a little bit stay curious keep (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah it's it's i think that um, asking those questions up front and showing a genuine interest in in their situation, their business. I think it's one of the things I, I've had uh, opportunities to leave learning and development at, throughout my career at different companies, and I've I've outright resisted um, not just opportunities, but being asked to go move to do something else because I love the process of learning just myself. And, and I think you're not our function is positioned in, in our organizations in such a a, a great place because. It, talk to and and work with everybody and you have an opportunity to learn about everything and yeah i think after a while i found in past companies start becoming a connector to parts of the businesses that don't necessarily talk to each other real well or don't know how to talk to each other manufacturing great example very classic manufacturing versus engineering um a lot of tension there traditionally and in my previous company there was and um but being able to speak their language and understand what they're trying to accomplish. Cause I work with them on this project and then working with manufacturing on this other one, you start seeing and able to articulate, here's the six or seven things you guys already agree on. And I don't think you realize you agree. So yeah. let's get that out in the open and, and talk and acknowledge is that truly an area of agreement? Cool. Now what can we build off on from there? Yeah. So I, find even- my, I found myself kind of playing mediator a little bit from a performance standpoint. Totally. And I think also, you know, to your point about asking the why questions, since those so often don't get asked out in day to day, 
you find out the the context behind decisions. And so there's, you know, eng engineering is making choices that manufacturing hates or production hates, but it's just because they don't understand like some constraint that engineering had, which is why they had to make the decision that way. And you get such Correct. a great opportunity to make those connections and just kind of dissolve conflicts that have no reason to exist, but people just don't get the opportunities that we do to see over the fence at, at all the other teams. Or our job is taking the time to ask the questions and discuss it and, and think about it. And a lot of people don't have that time to have that. Yes, don't, that's not the focus of our jobs. They don't have the time, the, the luxury of taking that time. I think you're right. You said it earlier, we get the opportunity. We're, we're afforded the luxury of asking quote unquote stupid questions. And you say, look, you may even know the answer. You may think everybody in the room knows the answer, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask this, the quote unquote stupid question because I want us to get the answer out and make it visible and really realize truly really, that we all do agree or we might uncover cover something. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. If, if you just take those as assumptions, you can go off in the wrong direction. Yep. No, hundred percent. Um, awesome. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more that learning and development when done well has such an amazing opportunity to be a bridge connector between between different parts of the company so it's such an important way to go um or did you have anything else on that nope no, no awesome. just, yeah i think systems thinking you, you were asking some things that that people could work on learning and i think questioning was one but that, that's that systems thinking see how the pieces connect seeing mm -hmm. the big picture understand mm -hmm. how the, the individual pieces affect one another and are currently yeah. working together or dysfunctional. But yeah, uh, because, and, and I only, I only say that because I, again, I take that more performance outcome approach, not just training for the sake of training yeah. and, you know, and, and all I do is build skill, but I want to have people be successful, re, you know, achieve their um, objectives for their role, which is going to help a, probably help them achieve their personal goals. So that's kind of where I come back to uh, why I want to understand the system and where people pieces fit in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know we um, want to watch and be cognizant of our time here. Um, any other things that you wanted to bring up? Any topics that you wanted to make sure to cover uh, today? Um, yeah, especially if you're talking about, I think it was an interesting uh way you introduced this to talk about the the smaller organizations and that's the bulk of the training teams out there and yeah. i'm sitting here right now sitting on a big team um okay at a, at a decent sized company and but i i have worked in a two-person team before I've, yeah. I've i've led a three-person team and worked with a lot of colleagues like that and as i moved into bigger organizations we had bigger teams and people were specialized gave me a different appreciation for the, the challenges that i had experienced before and hadn't even realized um, by not having access to somebody who's just so deeply into one sub-discipline yeah. uh, or related discipline. Uh, but so I think the the, the question skills, the, 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 the system thinking, and that human performance improvement approach, um, mm -hmm. something to investigate and understand. Um, and But thinking outside of just learning resources, so performance support tools. Some people naturally think that's part of what we do. Other people think it's not. And I would argue it is. Um, again, if you're looking at, I want my my learners to, they don't have to learn directly from me. If they can learn what they needed from a piece of paper or a file that's out on the computer and they know how to find it and they don't have to go off to a class 
it's much more efficient and much and then more useful for them. So thinking of all the different, there's a lot of research out there right now with that learning in the moment of the need uh, and yeah. performance improvement. Um, when I started, it wasn't much talked about. I was lucky enough, I think, to be exposed to it right at the start. Uh, one of the professors at Western Michigan, uh, where I got my my degree, uh, was involved in the Society for Human I forget what's yeah Society for Human Performance Improvement. So um, ATD has picked up now that kind of mantra a bit, um, but thinking more broadly than just I do training, yeah. and uh, so it's part of that understand that not just a business need, but also understand there's a lot more tools you can explore. Um, maybe not master, but start looking at where's an opportunity to use, use some other tools. Yeah. And I think, I think the key there too is, you know, it's, it's really important to make that shift from training to performance, but that doesn't mean you have to be an expert in all things performance. Like you, you can't kid yourself to think that the L and D team is going to provide all the performance support for the company. It's about being able to identify what's necessary and then, bring in the, 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 the manager, bring in the comms team, bring in who, you know, who, the HR team, bring in whoever it is that has the particular skill for the performance improvement intervention that's necessary. Right. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not always us. It doesn't have to always be us. Right. So it's more of a, yeah, step putting in a, a fr- framework and tools to help subject matter experts, those experts you're working with, put some together just for the ease of the, the user's um, yeah. sake. You know, So yeah. putting some standards together, not because you want to manage that maybe as a, as a training professional, but because somebody needs to in order for there to be commonality across the organization. So now I'm looking at a finance job aid of some sort and one from HR, and I know how to navigate them because they're based on the same kind of a template. So yeah, owning like those templates, those those access systems maybe or partnering on those so that the you're keeping the learner the end user i think we're really good at that in training and development keep them first and foremost in mind when you're developing solutions and systems that support them yeah awesome well i think that is a fantastic place to end so thank you uh thank you so much joe i'm sure we'll we'll keep talking um and thanks again for being on the podcast thanks for having me Matt. this was really fun and i'm looking forward to the further conversation Absolutely.